Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Rhodes Church, come on, let's give a welcome to our friend William Wood. Thank you, Pastor. Well, good morning, family. Wow, I I love to be in a house that loves to worship Jesus. Wow, I'm telling you, your worship team here is just amazing. And and how many of us know worship is not an opening act for the main event. It is the main event. We're designed to worship God. I was hoping for someone to agree with that. Listen, it is such an honor to be here, such a privilege to be here. Last year when I came, I felt super connected to your pastors. They're just such an amazing leaders, and they walk in the humility of Christ. Let's give them a hand. Come on. Thank you, Pastor. So if you have your Bibles, I just want you to turn with me over to John chapter 16. And I'm just going to pray. I'm going to pray just for a moment before we get started. So, Holy Spirit, we just, we just give you permission to do whatever you desire to do here, Lord. Hmm. Yeah. I just want you to take a moment. Just kind of focus all of your attention to the person of Jesus. Yeah. Just whatever you've been going, going through throughout your day, throughout your year, whatever it is, just kind of put those things to the side. And for the next 45, 50 minutes, let's just put all of our attention on the person of Jesus Christ. Oh. It is good to be in your presence, Jesus. And Father, just even for myself, I ask that you will wear me like a glove to minister your word and your gospel through me with clarity, with wisdom and insight, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was preparing to come be with you this weekend, I really sensed in my heart to, to emphasize the work and presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the title that I would get to this message is the Spirit-Filled Vocation. Now, the reason I'm using the term or word vocation there is because the Spirit has a mission for every person in this room. How many of us believe that? There is a mission for your life. God did not create you without a purpose, without a mission. He created you on purpose for a purpose. And God's spirit has a mission that he wants to demonstrate through your life. And that is true for every person that is sitting in this room right now. And so this is the reason that I wanted to give it this title is because we often don't think about the mission of the spirit. We often talk about being filled. We often talk about speaking in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit, but we very rarely really emphasize the mission of that Spirit through our life. And that's what I feel like the Lord is really wanting to emphasize in this season that we're in right now. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, John chapter 16, we're going to pick it up in verse 5 here. And in this story, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And the way that I want you to read these texts is I want you to interject yourself into what Jesus is saying here, because you and I all also are a disciple. And so it's like Jesus speaking to you and I, and what Jesus is doing right here is he's telling them and getting them prepared for his departure, for the work that he's going to accomplish on the cross, for his resurrection. He's preparing them for his departure. And so he makes some very profound statements 
in these passages, as verse 5 says this, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Now pay attention to what he's about to say. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And let's just take a moment and stop right here and think about what Jesus is saying to his disciples. He's saying, listen, it is to your advantage that I go away. Now, Jesus is walking with the disciples in his flesh. He is with them day in, day out. They're able to see Jesus. They're able to touch Jesus. They're able to go to Jesus' house in the morning and have prayer with Jesus. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, but yet, you have Jesus right here speaking to them saying, no, it's actually better that I leave. It's actually to your advantage that I depart from your presence. To me, that is a very interesting statement. What he's trying to prepare the disciples for was that he, when he departs, he's going to literally deposit into their life his spirit. In other words, when the spirit of God comes, it is the spirit of Christ being poured out into your hearts. Even think about it this way. As a born-again believer, every single one of us have Jesus dwelling on the inside of us. So basically what Jesus is saying, listen, I am walking with you in the flesh right now, but there's coming a time where I'm not just going to walk with you. I'm going to literally live inside of you. Do you realize you and I actually live in a greater reality than the disciples did that walked with him in the flesh? We're actually living in a time that these disciples were looking forward to, which they were filled. But you and I need to have this context and this understanding that as a born-again believer, the Spirit of Christ has come to dwell on the inside of you. I want to connect it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 says, The one who has joined himself to the Lord has become one spirit with him. When you study that word one, you realize that it means complete in every aspect. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 says, And as he is, so also are you in this world. As he is in his glorified state, so are you in this world. Man, if that doesn't get you excited, your wood is wet, my friend. <laughs> I want you to really pay attention to what I'm saying here. Jesus is praying these disciples for his spirit to come dwell on the inside of them. And so they, we need to understand that God dwells on the inside of us. When I became a born-again believer and my spirit is joined with his spirit, that means as he is, so also am I. What does that, what does that entail? That means now I literally carry his nature I carry his power. I carry his authority. I carry his holiness. Wow. Man, this will blow your mind if you grasp what I'm talking about. What do you think scripture means in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? It says, for those that are in Christ, he has become a new creation. It says, old things have passed away, new things have been made new, right? 
That means as a born-again believer, you're literally carrying the nature of God. And so you're just as righteous and holy and pure as God is in your spirit. That usually goes over about like that when I make those statements. Well, William, I don't know about this. Well, you don't have to believe it. You can live as depressed and beat up as you've ever lived. Or you can believe what the Bible actually says. What if God is really telling the truth? What if he really does live on the inside of you? What if you are really righteous? What if you are really pure? What if you really do carry his power? What if you have really been healed? What if you really have been set free in your spirit? Man, this brings a whole other context to the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 also says this, that you're also seated with him in the heavenly places. So where does that show you, show you where heaven is? On the inside of you. But yet most of the time when we pray, what do we do? We look up into the sky trying to find God. Well, if God lives on the inside of you and in heaven and you're already seated with him in heavenly places, heaven abides on the inside of you. So why are we looking up into the clouds trying to find God? We need to look down at ourselves and say, hey, Jesus. One person clapped about that. I know what I'm saying right here may be contrary to what you may have heard your entire Christian life. You know, I'm not, I don't want to mess up your theology, but, but I want to mess up your theology and get, and get you thinking about things a little bit different. If the Bible says that your spirit and his spirit is joined together, then I think that's what we need to believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16 says we are his temple. You are the house of worship. You are the house of prayer. This building is not the dwelling place of God. You are the dwelling place of God. You are his house of worship and prayer. But yet we, we, we put God on the outside of us instead of on the inside of us. So therefore, we're able to proclaim, proclaim him by doctrine but live for ourselves by principle. Man, it brings a whole another level of responsibility of allegiance to him when you realize he abides on the inside of you. It's easy to be disobedient to him when he's in a cloud somewhere. I'll let you think about that one for a while. Man, when I became a born-again believer and I, I discovered these truths and I realized God lives on the inside of me, I was like, man, why are Christians so depressed? Man, you got God living on the inside of you. I, mean, I, I, can't, I couldn't help but to be bold and courageous. I couldn't help but to walk in joy because there's never a moment, there's never a time of separation between me and God. I don't have to beg and plead with God to get him to show up. Where else is he going to be rather inside of me? Like, like we say things and we pray things, God, go and be with me. Well, where else is he going to be other than with you? We have prayer meetings. We come together. We got we to gotta open up the heavens so God can come down so my prayer can be answered. Man, if I'm already seated with Christ in the heavenly places, why in the world do I need to open up the heavens when I'm already seated with Christ in heaven in the heavenly realms? 
But yet we want to use Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 where his prayers were held up and for 21 days Well, the prince of Persia. You do realize Jesus was the answer to Daniel's problem. But it's a lot easier to associate with certain characters and certain passages of scripture that makes us feel better about our defeat. Listen, I am a really nice guy. <laughs> if you got to know me, I'm telling you, you would love me. But what you will notice about me is I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. I'm going to tell you the truth. If I didn't tell you the truth, you know what I'm doing? I'm actually rejecting the truth for you. And I'm not going to do that. You may reject the truth, but it's not going to be because I rejected it for you. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says, and I'm here to tell you God lives on the inside of you. You are victorious. You are righteous. You are holy. You are pure. And so if God dwells on the inside of you, that means you and God, you are the majority. That means there's not a devil in all of this world that can oppose you and your destiny. Man, there's not enough demons in all of hell that can stop you and God. You and God, you are the majority. You don't need to get a prayer chain of a thousand people to agree with you for you to fulfill your destiny. The only person that needs to agree with it is you. Man, do you know the greatest enemy to your destiny? It is not the devil. It is you. What do you mean, William? You should be excited that you're the problem because if somebody else was the problem, you can't do anything about it. But you can do something about you. <laughs> Man, this is why I can't, I, I wake up happy. I don't wake up to bad news. If you're waking up to bad news, you're waking up to the wrong news station and you need to change the channel and you need to wake up to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and realize God abides inside of me. I have all authority and power. Wow. That means even the devil is already in a defeated posture as it relates to you. He is victim to your victory. That means sickness is victim to your victory. Man, some of us get some of us catch sickness like I threw a football at you. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't believe in sickness. I believe in healing. You see, if I believe in sickness, then I'm going to catch it because I think that's just normal part of my life. But no, when God dwells on the inside of you, he doesn't get sick. He's already defeated death, hell, and the grave. He's already accomplished healing for you. And so why am I going to develop a belief system that contradicts the God that lives within me? And so when I say I don't believe in sickness, that means I don't catch it. I resist it. Because I think I can actually do something about it. So I don't catch sickness like you threw a ball at me. I just step out the way. I ain't catching that. And because of this, I haven't been sick in over 16 years now. Ever since I took the gospel, I'm good. Someone said, you going to take the vaccine? I said, well, I've already taken the gospel. God lives on the inside of me. I don't see any point in helping God out. 
Now, I have nothing against the vaccine. I'm just telling you, I don't get sick. I know some of this may be different than what you've ever heard in your life, but it's time that we hear what the Bible actually says. And God lives only inside of you. This is what Jesus is teaching the disciples. He's listen, he said, listen, guys, I know you're having a great time with me, but wait until I live inside of you. Wait until my spirit comes to abide inside of you. And now you can actually feel my power. You can actually feel my presence. You can actually feel the, the God of the universe dwelling on the inside. Wait until that moment. You think you're having a good time now? Wait until then. That then is now. That then is what the reality you live in. Whew. Isn't that amazing? It goes on to say this right here. It says, for if I do not go away, the helper would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, he describes his spirit coming to, him, to them as a helper. Do you know the most beautiful gift that God has given you is your will? The reason he has given you a will is not so that you can be independent from him, but an independent extension of who he is. And he's given you a will so that you can be a son and a daughter that, that submits to him out of your own desire to submit to him. He could have just programmed you like a robot and you didn't have a choice but to live in obedience to him. Listen, if you didn't have a will, it would be impossible for you to live in, uh, in disobedience to God. God loves you so much and he, he values freedom so much that he was not willing to control you. If he controlled you and made you stay in his house, some of us know that's a violation of who you are as a person. Force love is rape. Let me say it to you this way. God loves you so much, he's willing to live inside of you as a captive until you learn how to yield your will to him. William, I don't know about you. You can't control God. Well, I, ha I hate to tell you this. God wasn't in control of you when you cussed out your neighbor. Don't look at your husbands now. <laughs> what I'm trying to get you to see is the most beautiful gift God has given you is your will. And so the most beautiful gift we can give back unto God is the yielding of our will to his spirit that abides on the inside of us. And so when he says to the disciples, this helper is going to come help you, what he's literally saying, he's not coming to do these things for you. He's coming to do these things through you. And so he's seeking the partnership of your will so that his can be fully accomplished. Can God do these things without you? Absolutely. But he desires to establish his kingdom on this earth through you, with you. As a matter of fact, you can even say it this way. In many ways, God has chosen to limit his power according to your cooperation. 
He has limited his demonstration of his will on this earth according to the surrendering of your will. Man, I'm saying some statements right here that will absolutely change your life. Now, again, I'm not saying you surrendering your will, you're not controlling God. He is not your servant, you're his servant. But what I am saying is Jesus role modeled what it looks like. And, he, and Jesus said it this way. He says, I didn't come to do my, my own will. I came to do the will of the one who sent me. And so he revealed the, the accomplishment of the Father's will through him came through surrender, not achievement. Man, all you have to do is just die. Man, what do you think Paul meant in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. And so we see right here, looking like Jesus has nothing to do with our ability. It has everything to do with our willingness to yield. In other words, you can have as much of God will as you will. You can say right now, you are manifesting as much of Jesus as you want to. You guys okay? Yeah. Staring at me. <laughs> this is what Jesus is telling the disciples. This is what he's preparing them for. He says, listen, my spirit, he's going to come help you. And what he's going to help you do is a mission but he's looking and seeking the partnership of your will so this mission can be fully accomplished. Now, he goes on to describe what this mission is. And he says this right here. And when he comes, he will convict the church. Is that what these passages say? What does it say? Well, convict the world. So the mission of the Spirit through your life isn't pointing out the sins of your person sitting beside you right now. All right. I didn't. That usually ticks off a bunch of religious-minded people. It's called self-righteousness, and yet self-righteousness is just a, it's the filthy rag. Self-righteousness is more severe sin than the homosexuality you're pointing out in your neighbor. Anyway, it says... When the Holy Spirit comes and through your life, he's to convict the world. So we have a mission that is to bring conviction to the world. Conviction. Now, the enemy has, has, has told the church that conviction is judgment and condemnation. And so we think conviction is a dirty word in church. Now, you should be convicted. Conviction is simply you being awakened to your created purpose, destiny, and value. It has nothing to do with beating you up in judgment and condemnation. It has everything to do with you being awakened to who you were really designed to be. And so this is what the mission of the Spirit through your life is, is to bring conviction to the world. In other words, to, to bring the world into an understanding of her created purpose. What if you viewed people not as they are, but as they were created to be? Wow, 
That means right now the darkness that's in the world is our responsibility as the church to do something about it. But what we do is we hold prayer services now asking God to do what he's already empowered us to do. And we pray things that he cannot answer because he's already answered it inside of you. Man, if you keep praying and all you get is silence, you may need to reevaluate what you're praying because you probably already have it. Have you ever lost your glasses only to find them on top of your head? Or your car keys, and you have, or you're looking for your phone, it's in your hand. Like, where's my phone? That's most Christians right there. God, God, can you bless me? God, God, where's your power? Oh, it's, it's in you. He cannot answer that prayer. It's already been answered. What if the Christian life was more about you discovering what you already have rather than you getting something that you don't? I can come up here, I can reword this and say, God is about to do this in your life and all of you get excited. Because then you, you, you hope what God's about to do is different than your experience. But if I come here and say God is already what happens now is we evaluate God's word based on our experience instead of evaluating our experience based on God's word. And so therefore, we actually give experience the authority, the authority to undermine and rewrite scripture. Man, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's, man, listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, when the helper comes, when my spirit comes to abide on the inside of you, he's coming to bring conviction to the world. And so you need to take responsibility for the darkness and stop giving darkness purpose with the absence of your light. I'm tired of Satan finding his identity in the absence of my sonship. Man, I have 12 minutes. Man, I wish I had at least six months here to tell you what I want to tell you. And now he describes it this way. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will bring conviction through the word. Here's a definition. He says sin, not sins, singular. It says sin because the people do not believe upon me. Now, what is he referring to here? He's literally saying this, the spirit of God through your life is to convict the world of the sin of unbelief. All other sin is a byproduct of this one chief sin, unbelief. And so a, fact, so a sign that you're actually filled with the Holy Spirit is the fact that the world around you is convicted of unbelief. When was the last time someone got around your life and they were convicted that they didn't believe in Jesus? Man, if we were ever postured as a church to convict the world of unbelief, it is in this day, in this season, in this time. You know, COVID was actually an opportunity for the church to reveal a new way of, a, a, a new way of living to the world. In other words, to convict the world of the fact that they are not believing in Jesus and that they need to put their faith in Jesus. But instead of the church convicting the world of unbelief, we convinced the world of their unbelief. Why? Because we responded no different than an unbeliever would have responded. Man, I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. 
God is raising us up. He's calling us up to be warriors. He's calling us up to be sons and daughters that realize why are we going to allow the sons of darkness to walk in more maturity with Satan than the sons of light to walk in maturity with Christ? Then it says righteousness. Because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. This is what Jesus says. What did Jesus do in the flesh? He revealed a, a righteous person living righteously before man. Righteousness also means this, right standing. So what Jesus was revealing was how a son is to live right standing to the Father in relation to God, then in relation to the world. And he's literally saying this, my spirit, my spirit of Christ is coming inside of you and my ability to live right standing before God and the world is the same right standing that you have before God and the world. This is why Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says you have been justified by faith and you have peace with God. God is not angry with you. You're at complete and total peace with who he is. And so how we convict the world of, of righteousness is, is that right there. Is that we live so right standing before God that it convicts the world that they're not right standing before God. Then it says judgment. It says because the ruler of this world has been judged. When Jesus came, he did, he did come to condemn and to bring judgment, but he came to expose who the real enemy was. The real enemy was not your neighbor. The real enemy was not Donald Trump. The real enemy is not Joe Biden. The real enemy is not people. The real enemy is Satan and his evil forces of wickedness behind people's actions. And so he came to bring judgment on the demonic realm. First John chapter 3, verse 6, I believe it is. He says, I came, Jesus says, I came for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And so the, the Holy Spirit through your life is to convict the world of who the real enemy is. Stop demonizing people and realize there's other factors involved and the behavior of that person is not really them. It is an evil spirit. In 2012, my brother was brutally murdered by a drug addict. And when I saw the person that murdered my brother and I looked at them, this is when I knew Jesus had set me free. I understood there's other factors involved and I had zero amount of hatred in my heart toward that person. I realized that person is a victim of Satan. Just as much my, as my brother is a victim of their actions. And because I am a son of God and I have been in enlightened with the truth of the gospel it would be more of an act of Satan for me if I condemn that person to hell do you want to know what the mission of the spirit through your life is it is this right here it is to bring conviction to the world not judgment and condemnation it is to show people you need to put your 
faith in Jesus. It is to show people this is how you walk right standing before God. It is to show people that the devil, Satan, evil forces of wickedness, that's the real battle. That's the real enemy. So let's look at each other differently. Let's value each other differently. Let's love each other differently. Man, if this is the mission of the Spirit through your life, And that could change everybody around you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.